Hey, Denver, if you'd like to meet today's guests in person, Gail and Bruce Montgomery, they are doing a book signing Saturday, February 22nd at 4 p.m. up in Evergreen, Colorado. Take a pen, write this down, bit.ly slash improv mindset. That'll take you to an Eventbrite link where you can sign up for this free event. And I'll also include a link so you don't have to write this down if you don't want to, but definitely come out. I'm going to be up there, come meet them, talk to them, check out the book and enjoy today's episode. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Yeah, so I know, try to come out of your there? cells just a little bit. <laughs> you heard it, didn't you? You heard it. <laughs> Welcome to our marriage. <laughs> our marriage is no hesitation. Huh. Bruce and Gail Montgomery married. No hesitation. <laughs> no hesitation with no. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to speak Bruce. <laughs> really? 24 years? Can't speak Bruce? Yeah, we're working on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks for listening. I'm here with Gail and Bruce Montgomery from Experience Yes up in uh, lovely Evergreen, Colorado. And uh, thank you both for making the time. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Thanks for making the drive. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. There's only so much snow on the ground. It's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, 60 in November. It's awesome. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So um, tell me about Experience Yes, and then this is because there's a common connection here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what I think it is. Okay. And maybe Bruce will agree, and maybe he'll tell. We have completely different perspectives on the company, possibly. Mm -hmm. So I think Experience Yes is an innovation company. We're founded kind of on the principles of improv, four rules of improv. Um, Yes and, listen with intent to serve. Support your teammates at all costs and trust your instincts. And I think we use uh, those methodologies to take soft skills and turn them into hard results. What do you think, Bruce? I think that was really good. We're married. Um, this is awkward. <laughs> uh, we're still married we're even still... though we work together. Are we really? Are we? Yeah. Are we? <laughs> Barely. Yes, that's right. Just that's right. Barely. No, I think that's right. And, and it's really focused on, you know, the backbone of it is the the neuroscience behind creativity, the neuroscience behind improvisation and kind of what happens in the brain and, and why that's important. Showing, being able to show data and, and understand the data that, that uh, that's come out over the last several years, uh, I think is an important part of, of what we do. It's kind of like you and me. I'm super soft and fuzzy mm-hmm. and you're kind of hard. Wow. So the soft skills and the hard data. Yeah, I'm in it, you know. Yeah. Positively? Yeah, of course. Okay, in a nice way. <laughs> you know, like hard candy. Okay, good. <laughs> well, our connection, I love it, is you know, obviously improv, but um, Bill Johnson at DCP Midstream uh, introduced uh, you and me. I'm looking at Gail. I can't see that, obviously. But um, I liked the connection and the, just the concept of the company because I've got a professional development background. For a hot minute, I sold disc and accountability and things like that. Mm. And so having now a couple years of improv and then pairing it with the, um, the professional development and the communication, it's in my opinion, it's definitely a missing piece in a lot of people's uh, communication arsenal, their adaptability for business. And so to find out that there's actually a real company run by professionals that does that, I thought was really cool. Yeah. An interesting uh, comment about DCP midstream, you know, they, they actually have used. Uh, we've we've actually worked directly with them and their leaders to to enact a yes and culture. So they they focus on and use that uh, uh, as part of their normal business practices, which is really really cool. So just a shout out to Bill Johnson, who uh, who's who's a, a leader among that. Absolutely, yeah. and for us, I think one of the most exciting things about working with companies that are forward thinking about innovation and creativity in that way is they're investing in their teams by bringing organizations like ours in, they know that if we can help educate them on that shared language that improv has as well, that the 
um, the ability for us to reduce that form, storm, norm, perform continuum for a high-performing team is is hugely beneficial. Uh, you'll get to efficiency faster and you'll see more high-performing teams. So super exciting to see that um, within their company and many others that are getting into that trend, I think. Sure. Well, even before I started doing improv, I would look back on people that I've worked with and worked for that were difficult because mm. it was always no, 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 no. Yeah. And I had a, a, a CFO who I would say, I would have to preface things by saying, look, this isn't flight ready. This isn't going out the door. And I would say, you know, what about this? What about that? Oh, no, no. I was like, and it just immediately killed all productivity and the discussion and the brainstorming, and even with the discussion of just in the preface of just like, we're just whiteboarding here. Yeah. These are just ideas. Yeah. But to me, it was a mindset that just completely arrested any sort of collaboration and creativity. Yeah, the, the I mean, it's it's fascinating to me, and kind of one of the reasons why we got into to doing experience. Yes, is that the brain is wired to say no. Right. We, it is remarkable if you just take the number of times in a day that you say the word no. And we say no in a variety of different, variety of different ways. We say things like but or however or still or maybe. Like we, we say no. Uh, we couch it as a, no, we're really listening, but uh, we're, you know, I love you, but this problem comes up. You, you erase everything with the but. Especially and, apologies too. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry, but you know you did this. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, you know. I'm sorry, Gail, but you're not very nice. Well, or more importantly, I love you, but, but go clean your room. Yeah. Right, that's a big one. Or this is a great report, Bruce, but on page 24, you messed it up yeah. royally. Yeah. So we're exceptional at saying no, human beings, and, and, it's, and it's related to a part of the brain called the dorsolateral pre- frontal cortex. It is the executive judge of the brain. It's responsible for, you know, long-term planning. I want you to say that again. Prefrontal. No, the whole dorsolateral. Dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Super sexy. Damn girl. Super sexy. That's right. If anybody wants to know how I wooed my wife, it's with words like that. Yes, it is. He's not lying, gentlemen and ladies. Yeah, and there's a great study out there that talks about the effects of no on the brain. Mm-hmm. And there's a little over a 60%, um, re- it takes 60% longer, I should say, to get back to efficiency after you've heard the word no. Right. So you know, simply by figuring out how to use yes and as a means of, coming from a place of agreement, the yes being I hear what you're saying and the and being your ability to navigate what comes next, whether that's you can do something or you can't, you can still frame it in that same way. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'd love to help you with that report and I'm available at three o'clock or... Yes, uh, I believe we can get together and the the soonest I could do it would be tomorrow at five. Right. And, or if you didn't even want to or weren't ready or prepared to help them, you can say, yeah, I can see how important this report is to you. And Mary might be better suited to help you mm-hmm. with it. They still hear yes and the and, and it doesn't take them as long to get back to doing what they were needing to do. It's funny so. though, you, you you present this to a room full of accountants, right? This concept of the improv mindset and say yes and and do that. And they go, well, we have to say no. <laughs> yes. I, we're look, finance. Yes. You know, we, yeah. we know. We're engineering, put, right? Put your company out of business. Say no to that. 100% do that. You know, uh, uh, question safety. Say no to that. Uh, what we're, You know, the, our stance is you're already really good at saying no. So you have to practice saying yes. And the more you do that, the more you realize how that um, as social beings, we get involved with each other and can, can kind of move the ball forward. I agree. Mm. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad well, you agree. Well stated. <laughs> I forgot to introduce one of our guests too. Um, previous podcast guest episode, what was that? 32-ish, something like that. Crystal is here. Welcome. Hi, Crystal. Hi, Crystal. <laughs> it's nice to have someone other than Matt to look at while yeah. we're talking about things. I know I'm much prettier than he is. <laughs> I don't know if he'll agree with you. It's the, it's the dimples. It really is. <laughs> So uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, from a salesperson perspective, um, and not to get too deep into the weeds like on your process, but mm-hmm. what are some of the objections that when you're going in to talk to a corporation about 
uh, or their misconceptions. And, you know, we've covered misconceptions about improv on some of the other episodes, but Mm -hmm. what are some of the hurdles you've got to go through to get people to get their minds around that this isn't really like touchy feely clown college type stuff? Great question. I'm going to let Bruce go with that one to begin with, just because he's the one that's so passionate about the data piece and why it's important to show that ROI. Yeah. I I come from a a background of management consulting and and I always struggled with the fluffier classes, the fluffier approaches, if it didn't have some kind of data component Mm -hmm. to it. Uh, So, so as a, as a response to that, when we were thinking about experience, yes, we ended up uh, focusing on the data piece. How can we prove that, what is going on is actually going to give you, you know, a better a better return on investment um, that is going to show the value of the stuff that we provide. Uh, so, so the objections actually are very common. We did a room full of psychiatrists. Oh yeah. Um, so we and and their goal that day it was thirty one psychiatrists and one nurse practitioner, and their CEO's goal that day was we want them to get together and then come up with better communication practices. So our goal was to put them in through this improv mindset training and then immediately turn that into them solving their problems that they were having and challenges they were having with communication. Now, imagine a room full of psychiatrists and we stand up there going, let's talk about the brain and everybody just shut down. Oh, arms crossed. I am a psychiatrist and you're going to tell me about the brain? Yeah. How how dare you? And oh, by the way, I don't want to do improv. So let's just establish the fact that I don't want to do improv. And you're going to tell me about the brain. I'm just just shut down. Um, But what what we find is as as you begin to introduce hey, this is how the brain works. This is what's happening. This is how you can change your brain. Uh, And then put them through these interventions that get people listening to each other, having fun together, you know, the communal laughter uh, and failing together. Suddenly, they're the the biggest proponents of the stuff that we do. In fact, I would argue that in each session we've ever led or sessions over Mm -hmm. several courses of days, whether they be leaders or teams, the, the folks that have the personalities of engineers or finance and accounting mm-hmm. who are the most reticent and you can tell right away when you walk into the room are the ones that have the most impact yep. uh, or, or receive the greatest sure. um, reward from the experience. Yeah, we start with a, uh, we often start with a basic creativity measurement tool. It's been around since the 1960s. It's called an alternate uses test. Huh. Um, you would know it, Crystal, if you had ever done like, hey, how many different ways can you use this paperclip? Or how many different ways could you use this candle? And you sit down and you just write the number of different uses down. And, and what's fascinating about a test like that is children, specifically kindergartners, rate at a genius level of doing that because they can come up with any number of ideas and you know they'll expand it they'll make the if it's a candle they'll make it huge this is a baseball bat this is the north pole you know or they'll make it tiny and say you know i'm on the inside of a of a person and i'm actually editing a cell right now with this whereas as we get older we begin to narrow the ability to see a thing for what it could be we always identify it for what it is so you'll see responses to how many different ways can you use a paper clip? Somebody might have five or 10, and it'll be to clip paper. Which, hello. It does. It totally 100%. does that, absolutely. Um, to, uh, to a zipper pull. A zipper pull, an earring, to uh, pick my nose. Pick my teeth. Right? Yeah, um, and those are all great answers. Great all, answers. They all work, yeah. and yet they don't, they don't take you to the next level of creativity, the next level of that mindset. So then you run that test again, and you'll see engineers. I mean, we, we ran something with an oil and gas firm just a few weeks ago, and there was a 300% improvement in fluency in the number of ideas generated hmm. for one, 300%. They started with three, and then they were like, oh, hey, at the end of this, I, I can make this anything I want. Let me just start doing it. Absolutely. So that kind of data, when you're, when you're uh, fundamentally changing what's happening in the brain and saying, look, here's what you have to get out of your way of, um, people said, tend to key into that and go, Oh, I can hang a hanger on improv a little better if I can understand that it actually has some kind of result to it. Well, right. It feeds that whole, the more ideas that you have, the more sticky ideas you're going to find to be able mm-hmm. to solve that that issue, right? We're just so good at categorizing mm-hmm. and labeling things. And that's what happens when you're a kid and you're in kindergarten class. You're like, 
everyone's raising their hand. Pick me, pick me, pick me. There's no fear of failure. Yep. None. Because it doesn't mean anything to them. And it's when you get older, you see, you know, the high school senior class, when the teacher asks a question, no one raises their right. hand because they're so terrified of failing. Yep. And yet it's through failure that success comes. Yep. And that's the stuff that we get really excited about. Yeah, that specifically that study, um, there was a study uh, at MIT that took a look at the number of ideas that you can generate is directly correlated to you having a good idea. So they actually used... Sounds kind of simple, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, they, actually, <laughs> they actually did a whole improv class and they took people over the course of six to 12 weeks and measured their fluency, measured their ability to create at, at the beginning and end. All of them saw a tick up. All of them saw great increases in, in creativity. And then when they, they rated it on novelty, the ability to actually have something that was good, um, the improvisers were better at producing a good idea versus uh, those that were not taking an improv class. So, so it, I mean, it's it's simple. People are terrified of it. And yet, when you start to think about what happens in the brain and how exciting that is, uh, that's the cool stuff. That's, that's the neat thing. I would add just one little teeny thing to the end of that in terms of when we have these meetings with executives or we come into a company and we're talking about what we are doing. When we first started out, we had a lot of people tell us, don't say the word improv. Mm -hmm. It's a huge hot button and you're going to scare everyone away. And so we followed that advice. We were terrified of, of bringing up uh, that particular word. And so we said experiential or we said, you know, some type of steeped physical Steeped in creativity. Production. Steeped in creativity, yeah. innovation. Yeah. And then finally we started to own it more because Bruce especially, and then myself, we were looking through and finding all of this data to support what improv can do mm -hmm. to your brain and and how it can increase uh, creativity and, and solidify teams and all of that. And I think that then coupled with the ability to get into these companies and, and um, you know, have leaders take chances on us and then have case studies now where mm -hmm. what we've done with these teams has yielded true financial results for them. You know, we have that now that we can walk in with and lay down as an ace of spades and say, here's why it matters and here's why you need to be doing it. Well, coming from, I was an engineer for seven years. Mm -hmm. I wrote pacemaker code. So uh, class three medical device, life sustaining. So there's not a whole lot of room for, you know, um, creativity <laughs> yeah in in the solutions right but i think engineering and again the the best engineers were the ones that i had a and i never should have been an engineer let me just say it that way but the best engineers were the ones that were so very disciplined and so very rigorous in their procedures and everything else that they're doing that you know if you're launching a rocket or implanting a pacemaker that um creativity and spontaneity is not necessarily a good thing. And right. that's why I always struggle at that, but it can be at the front end. Like when you're talking about the number of good ideas that you have, there's a point and a purpose and a time for that. And I wonder if in engineering cultures that maybe they've just shut it off too soon. and It's been off for too long. Well, sure. well I'm going to push back on you and I'm going to say that I think at every level. Oh, this is my show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not physically going to touch you. Right, yeah. there's, there's no physical touching. Uh, uh, Can we get a whistle? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, I want to think about even just Apollo 13. Right. Well, I was thinking about that. So this seen, concept yeah. of, you know, it, you, you, I guarantee you the particular uh, creativity level of of the folks that were solving those problems, both while they were up in space and those that were down, you know, in Houston trying to figure it out, that made a difference. And because they were able to start looking at these things that were absolutely what they were, this mm -hmm. screw is a screw is a screw. Well, what else can you use it for? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's what we're talking about. We we had a conversation the other day. Um, with one of our clients who's involved in the surgical instrument um, and implant uh, uh, business area. And we were talking about the fact that they can now 3D print actual knees for knee replacements, you know, and hip sockets and all of that for you, for you, mm -hmm. your body, 
and you think about the reduction in, in risk then from both, you know, the body uh, saying, yeah, yeah, I don't, I, it's not working for me. If it's actually meant for you, then that's great. Um, and, and the creativity that came out of the ability to say, could we possibly do this? Can we, can we create, who would have ever thunk that there was going to be a machine that could 3D sure. print anything? And that, that's what they did with NASA when they had to fix something. They did not have a particular tool. They emailed them the plans <laughs> to 3D print their own screwdriver. Yeah, it was a screwdriver or and, a socket or something. Yeah, yeah and, and then uh, tell the story about the, um, the guy from Gore-Tex even. Where you can oh, blow yeah. outside of your industry, even yeah. from I, an engineering know, perspective. Cortex is a really interesting company. They're they're also a group of engineers, right? They, they and and they also include as part of their practice the twenty percent of time devoted to something that they want to work on. Mm. So so they keep their um, organization sizes in their different parts of the uh, company to two hundred. That seems to be their working model is this manufacturing plant or this this organization will be 200 in size and then they'll create another one when they need it. Um, so that group then can self-organize and do things that they're interested about. And in the case of Gore-Tex, they, um, one of the guys uh, was really interested. He was a musician. He liked to play guitar and he felt that the, the current guitar strings weren't very good. So we got a group together and they basically analyzed whether they could create a better guitar string. Now this is Gore-Tex, right? We're talking about, you know, textiles. We're talking about, you know, outer gear, um, you know, not at all part of their sweet spot, uh, guitar strings. And uh, they had a, a, a funding for doing, looking and experimenting with this kind of work and created the best selling uh, guitar string in the market. Currently. Gore-Tex. I just put those on my guitar, actually. Yeah. Did you really? Oh, right yeah. on. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and they yeah. have their logo in the right corner. And yeah. It's the slick And did you do the thing like, huh, Gore-Tex? Oh, I don't know why Gore-Tex would be in this market, but okay, let me put the strings on. Or what What prompted you to buy those? I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, they were a gift from my buddy Kevin. So right he on. plays guitar. Mm-hmm. And so at some point he was well known enough in the music industry that he was like a Gore-Tex ambassador or yep. something like oh, that. Wow. Or a string tester. Yeah, right on. But he had an extra set. And uh, yeah, I, it made immediate sense to yeah. me, right? In terms of uh, slickness or friction or whatever it is sure. or lack of friction on the strings. It made perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, I mean, you know, going back to Gail pushing back, you, you have, you, there are certain jobs where you need to, you have boundaries that you need to stay within mm-hmm. 100%. That is the case. Um, and yet there are still ways to find creativity throughout that, whether that's okay, we're going to give a creative, a creative outlet to our organization that allows them to then expand and create, or we'll find ways in what we're doing and taking a new technology and saying, can we 3D print a knee? Let's focus on that. You know, there's, there are ways to or make, solve a problem. Yeah. Like something blows up and you've got to figure out how to get out of a jam. Yep. And that's, you know, that's what you do in industry all the time is, and if, you can't, if you're not growing, you're dying, mm-hmm. right? And everyone's competing with everyone. So the only way to stay in your blue ocean is to be nimble enough to have those moments and opportunities to and, and solve. And to us, improv is the way. And I mean, you know, you know both of you know that the ability that, we have to create as improvisers and we're given a limited set of tools and a limited set of organization and we have to solve a problem together right now in front of 150 people. Go. And uh, and that's the stuff of life, right? That is, that's what's really just fun. You're getting passionate. I know. <laughs> awesome. I'll drink, I'll drink more of my tea. Me too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so um, let's go back in time a little bit. What was your each of your paths to this particular art form? Sure. I'll start. Uh, so uh, Bruce and I met in college and we moved just straight away. I'd never even been to New York City. We moved to Manhattan and uh, you know, I, have, I have a degree and I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Music Theater. You're welcome, Gail Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm absolutely using it. Uh, oh, and, man. you know, I started off doing off-Broadway and national tours and and just huffing it and trying to figure out how to make money and um, really wasn't introduced to improv until many, many years later. I, I worked on Wall Street. I temped, then eventually worked in the insurance industry and corporate recruiting. 
you know, had a couple babies and, you know, they're not dead. So I think I did something right. <laughs> I'm like, they're First now. rule of parenting. Right? Yeah. Woo! Made it to 18. Well, they, all right. One yeah, of them's above 18. One of them's, yeah. Still working on the other one. Exactly. The goal is, though, to keep them alive as long as you can. Yes. And they are still alive. So that's good. Yeah. And then, you know, I will kind of just bat it over to Bruce because really the company came out of, um, his idea and his EMBA program. Mm-hmm. Um, about 14 years ago, though, here in Evergreen, a group of us uh, who had been doing shows together and hanging out and meeting each other through different artistic endeavors um, had a class with some fantastic gal, Meredith, uh, f- who had gone through the Second City School. And she offered a few classes and we took them. And at the end of it, we all kind of agreed we're not done. We want to mm. do this more. And this mm. is super fun. Let's be honest. And, we were completely hooked. Oh, I mean, yeah. We were just and terrified. Bitten hard. And I mean, I'm going to be honest. You know, people always say to us, oh, are you ever nervous when you get in front of people? And it's like, of course we are. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the difference is we just do it more. And because of that crazy practiced uh, improv, right? The oxymoron of practicing the rules of improv. Uh, it's less and less each time. The nerves are there because the investment's there. So we did improv for, for several years, and then I'll hand it over to you, and you can kind of talk about your background and then how that segued into the business. Uh, yeah, si- similar background, right? We, we, we met in college, moved to New York, you know, did the business uh, as an actor, just kind of pounding the pavement. Really, in hindsight, really wished I would have found uh, improv while I was still an actor in New York, I think it would have made me a much better actor. I think it would have made you a better person, actually. Oh, wow. Quite frankly. Huh. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I wish you were know pushing back coming you... over. <laughs> Here's what I would like you to do. <laughs> it's interesting because improv has made you a worse person. Oh, <laughs> This is not a gale bashing. I'll talk to you later. Later, I will talk to you. We will revisit that. Visit that. Um, I'll bring it up later. Oh, yeah. And later. And later. I'll get you out of here. <laughs> Morse code. Someone's <laughs> listening, like, oh my god, that man needs help. <laughs> yes, I'm doing it on the table right now. Oh, I say, yeah. Subtly you can hear the beat. <laughs> so so yeah, I and, and Meredith Meredith Grundy, we should give her a shout out. Yeah. She uh, she was she Red was, Ball Productions. Yes. Uh, she was teaching at uh, uh, Second City and then came out here. Uh, and then, you know, what's funny is you look back and start improvising and you realize so many of your friends had been improvising and you didn't know it. And, and you know, you're having these conversations and, and suddenly getting involved with folks that, you know, friends back in New York who had been improvising forever. And you're like, wow, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, now that I'm in, you know, got the vernacular down, uh, I get it. Can we improvise together? Can we do that? So, yeah, it's been fun. So then you came out here. So it came out here, uh, um, yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Squirrel. So um, anyway, uh, you're welcome, Matt. <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm here for you. So so uh, when I was working at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, um, kind of moonlighting as an actor, but really uh, my job was to run their IT shop. And, uh, um, and while I was there, I decided to go get my MBA because really what I wanted to do at that time was run the Denver Center. My goal mm. was to be president of the Denver Center. I thought, hey, all right, uh, the chance uh, that the guy who was our CEO used to be the chancellor, Daniel Ritchie, used to be the chancellor at DU. Let me go to the school that he spent so much time at as a show of solidarity that, hey, I'm interested in doing this. And, um, and so while in class in an entrepreneurship class, uh, there was this they kept asking the question, you know, what do you like to do? What do you do well? Can you turn that into a business? And that just kept echoing and echoing and echoing. And and finally, it, I, I put it together. I love, I love improv. Is there a way that I could spin it with data that would make it more interesting to my brain, at least, that I think would be important? And uh, and that's where we kind of stumbled across some studies with uh, uh, Charles Lim, L-I-M-B, if anybody's ever Googled that. Your brain on improv is a TED Talk that he did. Um, and he focused on jazz improvisers specifically. And he looked at their brains and basically looked at, you know, what happens in your brain when you're doing memorized music? And then what happens in your brain when you do uh, uh, improvised music? And that's where you see this 
dorsolateral prefrontal cortex come into play and it gets suppressed. It's called transient hypofrontality. Another also sexy, sexy term. Oh, <clears throat> I love Damn, it. Just, yep, yeah, you guys are jealous of our I marriage. I know. <laughs> I'm, yeah, right. I'm just saying those big Latin words are I having know. an effect hey. on me too. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. Back off, Crystal. He's mine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Using big words, does it every time. Um, and so, yeah, so transient hypofrontality—the ability to suppress that part of your brain—is uh, what was discovered. And then we made a leap and said, "Hey, that must happen in comedic improvisers." And we're excited because the data is just coming out um, uh, soon uh, to be published. Uh, that that is true. We actually worked directly with Charles Lim, had uh, my brain analyzed, and uh, and are showing the same effects of that transient hypofrontality, kind of uh, suppressing that part of the brain that is assessing risk all the time. If we can get that out of the way, then we can create new stuff. And, and actually, I feel like that's been a very impactful for when we go into companies and kick off any session that we do. Uh, we'll lead with a lot of the, especially if it's a, a crowd of engineers mm-hmm. or, or folks that are a little less receptive to the concept of improv. Which is most everybody. Yeah. yeah. We'll lead with the data, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is an immediate um, way to become credible with the audience mm-hmm. in terms of what, what we have to offer. You know, sharing that, sharing some of the past work that we've done. And then, and then when they least expect it, we get them up. And we start doing stuff with them and uh, get them improving and, mm-hmm. and working as a team together and failing and laughing and laughing. Yeah, and that's laughing. the other great thing about improv. I mean, you guys know this, like the byproduct of, of failing in improv is laughter. You just, everybody laughs together, you know, make, make, make Gail do a Scottish accent <gasps> and uh, yeah, go ahead. No. Yeah, Are you kidding no, me? No, I'm not. I don't know what you're wanting from me. I <laughs> see. It sounds like I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. See, but the byproduct is laughter, okay, right? Yeah. Right, so yeah. Uh, we fail together and and uh, and fail forward, right? That's that's uh, that's the fun stuff. Well, uh, my friend Cat uh, Jeff, who is a dear friend of mine, is back in Denver now. Like mm-hmm. I've known him for five or six years, and we had an immediate friendship and I didn't know why because he had done improv for a while. And then just, I still talk about this bit all the time where we were going to go to this cycling board meeting and both of us were going to be in penis costumes (laughs) on opposite sides of the aisle and opposite sides of the issue. And we were going to get into this huge brawl because we couldn't come to an agreement over this, arcane issue in the cycling group meeting and we'd be fighting these penis costumes mm-hmm. and so i think technically that's called a sword fight but okay. yes it is yeah. i was gonna say <clears throat> dickering dicks i like it but we just we we were just sitting around a bar or sitting around a couple beers at a bar and we just came up with this we're just laughing mm-hmm. and we just kept building and i look back on it now and like he was improvising and i was complete amateur you know untrained in it but i was like man this guy is one of my best friends and it was just out of that right Mm -hmm. and so it was just and looking back on those relationships that i've had throughout the years just you know even people like uh you know waiters or cashiers or people where you just for two or three seconds you're just yes anding Mm -hmm. and it's like oh we're we're bros this is cool yeah this is It's okay, we can pause for a second. It's our daughter. Do you mind if we pause? No, not at all. Come on in, babe. It's all good. No, it's okay. It's totally fine. Paige, this is Matt and Crystal. This is Paige. Hey, Paige. We've paused so you can come and shake hands. Hi. Hi. Good to meet you. How's it going? It's fine, babe. No worries. We'll, we'll calm down it's the all good. Get talking again. It's all good. I'm so glad it worked out that the that the link leader stuff could be your in-service hours. That's fantastic. Out of service, yes. Or out of yeah, service, yes. All five of the hours. So you're Yay. done. That's done. That Boom. is done. Boom. Okay. But I have eight. Yeah, I have the in-service still. But, six more days. But that's a lot easier. Okay. All right, love you. Okay, I love you. All right, bye. Sorry. That's all right. Good to meet you. Okay, I think I know what I was going to say.
You do? I do. Right. Yeah. Did you pause or are you just going to edit that out? I'll just cut that yeah, out. Yeah. So, um, so that's what we love about uh, high-performing teams. You know, this concept of, of, as an improviser, you could go anywhere in the world and with another group of improvisers step in and be at the very least competent and probably very high-performing as a team because you all accept the rules of engagement for improv. Right. Uh, and and that's, you know, that's what's amazing is if you learn these and practice these uh, in, in some kind of more ritualized way, or at least more consistent way, then then your ability to move team to team to team uh, and then and then put that now in business. If you could do the same in business where you could move these business teams from group to group to group, then uh, then you've got something that's very special. Absolutely. I think you increase the trust that the immediate trust that you have within a team when you do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I always love when Bruce talks about how teams are created in business today. It's often like, okay, you look like you might be alive. Your heart is probably beating. You're just in the room. So you're all a team now go, go. fix this and, you know, have this objective and make it happen. Well, you then have these people that they don't know each other or they might know each other or mm-hmm. they've heard about each other. So they have all these preconceived ideas or no idea so you have to get through all that, that form storm, right? And if if we all had this understanding that, yep, I've got your back, right? Yes, and I'm going to support you. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm going to have your back at, you know, at all times. I'm going to listen to you with the intent to serve you, to make you better, not, not because it's about me. And I'm going to trust our instincts together. I mean, in my mind, that's it's just genius. And we've used it in our personal life as well with our kids. And it's been, you know, we're not perfect at it. And we say but and we we forget to have each other's back. It's an evolution and it's a journey and we're on it together and it's fun. And for us, that fun comes first mm-hmm. element is a huge, huge part of how you can fail and move forward both in your personal life and in your business life. Um, learning something and creating something amazing. That's really good. Thanks. Yeah, I like that. You're welcome. <laughs> Turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for the segment I call Getting Real with Matt. Ooh. <laughs> no. Um, Do I have to take off my... No. Uh, <laughs> Leave yeah. your pants on, Bruce. <laughs> Leave your pants on, Bruce. How did you get naked so fast? <laughs> <laughs> it's hot in here. Yeah. <laughs> So brief side story. So uh, we're driving up and Crystal asked me, she's like, so how do you know uh, Gail and Bruce? And I said, well, the podcast is a ruse. This is actually a swingers retreat. (laughs) 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 Did y'all leave your keys in the little bowl by the door? That's right. (laughs) And so she was trying to escape on uh, on 470, going 70 miles an hour. (laughs) No, where I was going with this is that when I first started this podcast, it was more of a business focus. Mm -hmm. And um, as an entrepreneur myself, I wanted to dive into kind of the the decision point for entrepreneurs where it was like um, quit or continue or quit and then resume, right? It was called burn the boats. So like that point of no return. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hearing, and I would like you to elaborate on this, is that you both went to New York, actors, um, fine arts degree, and you didn't necessarily give up on your dreams of acting, performing, being in front of people. It transformed, right? And so uh, I think that's a powerful message for people is like, you don't have to like completely walk away from whatever it is that you started out doing or passionate about, but, and I'll turn that over to you, but that decision to stop pursuing acting and having you know the side gigs and working at the restaurant what was that like how hard of a decision was that for both of you uh well okay bruce is looking at me so i'll start mm-hmm. um you know f- for me new york was really uh difficult place to live i had never lived in a really urban area and i'm a bleeding heart i wanted the homeless people to sleep in our bathtub like for real. Um, and, and as I became a little more hardened to the city and, and here's the thing, it's not, New Yorkers aren't mean. There are a lot of them and then, you know, and in Manhattan is a tiny little place and all the boroughs and meaning there's all these people in this tiny location and anonymity is key. So when you go out into the city, you get exhausted. And so for me, 
my transition from from showing up at auditions where there were 500 girls who looked just like me and wanted it just as badly as me and who had rehearsed and practiced and were potentially singing the same song as me um you know it and then not getting it and not getting it and not getting it and i know the whole concept of the more no's you get the closer you get to yes right i i love that phrase and i hate it um, you know, it, it was an ego bruiser, a huge ego buster for sure. And so my transition into finally saying yes to this company who was trying to get me to go full time from temping and supplementing our income was, was easier. I, I definitely had the, you know what? I came out here. I did it. I gave, I gave it the college try, if you will. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired of being rejected. Um, I know I'm talented and, and, and on to the next thing, whatever that song, you know, done, done onto the next one. What's mm-hmm. that song? Love that song. Cause I just, I needed that kind of mentality on to the next big thing. And thank you. Next. Sorry. If we're going to do music, I figured I'd bring out Ariana Grande. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ariana. <laughs> That's a great tune. Love that one. And, and honestly, then when we moved to Colorado and rediscovered theater at the community level. And for me, it was like, oh, there you are. I didn't, I didn't have to do it for biz- for work, for money anymore. And suddenly mm-hmm. that thing that was my passion for so, so long, you know, had this rebirth and it didn't matter that I wasn't earning an income. It was feeding my soul. And I remembered why it was important to me and why it mattered. Um, and then I'm going to let Bruce go. And I do have a little story about this concept of the choices that you make that I'd love to kind of circle back on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear. I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. I think. Okay. Newlywed game. You oh. better be right. Yeah, no, that's right. I went with Whatever Thursdays. Whatever I'm going to say yes, Thursdays. no socks. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, Gail, our our success in New York was a little different. I, I was very fortunate, um, able to get things kind of early and build on that and, and um, spent a lot of time away from Gail out on out on the road and doing tours and and. You know, there was one thing where I did 364 performances of one role. That's a lot. You know, that just like that's a long time to be out on the road. And, and what was uh, the role? A young Abe Lincoln. Oh. I'll let you guess who played young Abe Lincoln. Um, yeah. So so it was uh, you were paying. You know, every Kafna gymnatorium across the country for kids. It was. I love you. Honey. I got my equity card that way though. Yeah, um, you did. So so <laughs> I you know I, as I got as I progressed in my career I was having more and more you know, folks call and kind of say, hey, I, I've, I've heard about you. Um, we want you to come and read for this. Can you come down? And, and which was great. Uh, I remember, though, uh, there was one specific experience that I was, I had done, um, I was working a show and then I was also asked to do this uh, uh, staged reading of a new musical. And everybody in the room beyond me was, a, was currently on Broadway. So when we broke, people on Wednesday matinees would go do their Wednesday matinee and then we'd come back together. And I'd be the only guy who was still there because they were all doing, you know, uh, uh, The Heiress or uh, Beauty and the Beast or Les Mis. You know, they were all, they, and they were all great. Um, one of the guys that was in it was in The Heiress and he also had a national commercial running at exactly the same time. And this was in the t- days when a national commercial, this was for Snickers, would run and you would make like $150,000 in the year. Right. So it didn't have all of these other avenues where they would run it online or something. So you're talking early mid 90s. And his was on during the Super Bowl. It was a huge, big deal. And continued to run yeah. for, for months. So here he was in a Broadway play and he's getting bank from this commercial. And uh, and we we part. I really enjoyed uh, his name is Carl Kinsler. I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, I see him a year later at a workshop um, where some friends are perform- mutual friends are performing. Haven't seen him since since the day that we stopped you know performing together. And I was so excited because he was on fire when I when we left, and I couldn't wait to hear what he had been up to. What God, Carl, come on, what you know, what what are you doing now? And his his response was devastating. He said, "I haven't worked since." And so here was this person who I had seen beginning this ramp up of his career. He was he was rocketing up, and then 
fell off a cliff. And as a person who, you know, grew up in a, in a kind of upward trajectory family, you know, everybody was very goal oriented, wanted, you know, how do you progress through your career? Um, I saw that. And that was the first time I was like, I don't know if I can do this as a business anymore. And that was when I started to really reevaluate. Gail and I started to think about having kids and that was the decision. Like, okay, yeah, I think we're ready to move on and really thought we would never act again until we moved to Colorado. And then suddenly we were acting almost immediately. So it's just funny how it works out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it sounds like you know, acting in New York or LA, <clears throat> it's probably even more remote than say like the NFL. Hmm. How do you mean? Well, in terms like as you're describing the audition process and the rejections and things like that, mm-hmm. because like to me, sports is a little bit more objective because you can get timed, right? Or you can, you know, hit the the weights and you can you have like physical measurable things. Right? Yeah, quantitative. Yeah. Quantitative, thank you. Not an art form where Correct. people are subjective, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. Yeah, and, and being art, right? If somebody just doesn't simply like your face, mm-hmm. then then you're out. And then it's kind of like <laughs> I got a lot of that. <laughs> you do today. I'm all right. I'm rocking back and forth. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm okay. I'm okay. Therapy helps. Oh, yeah. It really it does. does. It does. <laughs> But like at least if you're say like in a in a college football program and your team goes to the bowl, somebody's gonna have film of you, somebody's gonna have some tape on you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to an audition, it's like the the at least as you're describing it, the ocean sounds so vast and so deep and so anonymous and so starting from zero every single time yep. that it's probably tougher to make it as an actor than it would be to become a professional athlete. Uh, yeah. yeah, arguably, I th- you know, there's probably more roles, although there are less and less every year, it feels like, but there's more roles than there are professional athlete spots. So you could probably make the argument either way, but equally as difficult, I sure. would say, you know, to, to, to make the break and the people who make the break, you know, we, we have a good friend, uh, that is in California and, and she, she actually tells the story of, she was, she had broken down in her car. She was, she was at an audition. She'd been grinding against the pavement for a long time, mm-hmm. had some moderate success. She'd been on MTV and she'd been on some other programs. Um, couldn't make it to the audition, called her sister to come pick her up. Her sister took her to the audition. She did the audition. She's an improviser. She was actually one of the, um, uh, she's a groundling. Uh, they loved her and then they cast her and she ended up getting cast as Flo, who's run for her name, Stephanie Courtney. She's had yeah. 12 years of being flow, right? But And here she was at really almost the end of her career. And then it finally hit for her, right? So it's just, you just never know when when it's going to happen. Well, and honestly, kind of that does lead me back to what I was going to say. I wanted to tag on where oh, yeah. it's this concept <clears throat> of, so, you, you, you know, on one hand, you might be able to say, well, if we just hung in there, right? Mm-hmm. Because some people say it's, it's who you know, it's timing, it's talent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just the culmination, the perfect storm of all three, right? And that very well may be true. If we'd stayed, maybe one of us would have found some or both of us. success yeah. that we Hit were it. visioning at that particular moment. And, and I'm so glad we left. Mm-hmm. You know, we had our son and we moved to Colorado to be near to family and had our daughter. And then we found this incredible community within Evergreen of, of like-minded individuals and funny and talented people. And, and I, and I think that's what I wanted to kind of get at is this, you know, it's uh, for anyone who remembers the old comic family Family, family circle, or family, family circle. circle. Mm-hmm. And so it was, a, and, and a lot of people listening maybe don't remember it. There's this concept that you know, they would say, "Who did this?" And they'd have a path of a child who'd gone through the house all over the place with these little dashes, and the kid would say they didn't, and it was not, obvious that they me. had yeah. they had gone through those little dashes, right? And the dash really is from the moment you were born to the moment you die. That's your dash, right, on your tombstone. The choices that you make in your life or what have led you to this very moment right now, us talking to you. Mm-hmm. And so had we not left New York, we may not have ever found the friends that we started Epic Improv mm-hmm. Group here in, in Evergreen with. And had that not happened, Bruce would maybe never have had the inspiration to to con- the brainchild of experience, yes. And so yay for all of it, including the yucky stuff, because mm-hmm. it's where we are because of it. So 
Well, and excuse me, nothing really holds up to comparison, no matter how good it is, right? And if you look back and compare your life to, say, a famous actor or actress, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, millions of dollars and fame and all that, but they might be miserable, they might be terrible, and it's just staying present in the moment and seeing where you're at and and appreciating it and just being realistic about it. Yep, yep, absolutely. Agreed. Going deep with Matt. <laughs> Brought to you by Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> Can I come out of the darkness <laughs> now? <laughs> well, this has been uh, absolutely amazing. It's just been one of the more fun interviews I've ever done. You say so. that to everybody. Oh, yeah, come I on. Do. You do, come on. Yeah. <laughs> What did we agree on, Crystal? $100? Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, right. yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Bruce, oh, put your pants on. on. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, it's a pants on interview? Damn pants it. on. Right. Pants on. Yeah. Uh, so I'll put, all, I'll put links to this in the show notes, but where can people find uh, more about Experience Yes and book you and transform their businesses? Sure. You can find us uh, online, uh, www.experienceyes.com. Um, you can look at our book, www.braindisruption.com. Oh. We're available on Amazon, Brain Disruption, Radical Innovation in Business Through Improv, that, uh, that we're going to be rebranding in the near future. Um, and, uh, and then we've got links to videos and everything else on the site, so you can get a sense of what we do and how we do it um, from there. And then, you know, social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. All those good things. <laughs> All those things. <laughs> you did too. Thanks, Crystal, you want to take us out? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yes, and well, thank you for listening. This has been the Matt Sodnikar podcast with Gail and Bruce, my new friends for today. Yay! Thank you to our technical host and host of the show. Well done. Brought to you by Squarespace. Brought to you by Squarespace. (laughs) (laughs) Nice job, darling. Well done. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. And uh, it was great to meet for brunch. And I want to see you perform and and, and, uh, hopefully contribute to your success. Right on. Yes, and. Yes, and. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, Denver. If you are in the tech business, IT, anything like that, you need to mark your calendars for Thursday, March 26th of this year, 2020, for the sea level at Mile High. I went last year and it's incredible. Formed some great relationships. John Cox, Aaron Bach, uh, podcast guests met at this event. And it's the biggest fundraiser for the Colorado Technology Association. And it's a way to get in front of sea level people. They're actually the celebrities for the event and have legitimate conversations. It's just a wonderful networking event, first class. It's actually at Empower Field at Mile High, which <laughs> how long has it been that? Um, but it's uh, where the, Bro- the Denver Broncos play football. So uh, take a look at the coloradotechnology.org, sea level at Mile High, and check it out. You need to be there.